Uh, well, last week we uh, started a four-part series. I almost forgot. I'm staring at this uh, program in my hand going, why is this up here? No, I just wanted to mention to you, uh, if you didn't get one last week, be sure to grab uh, our January uh, In the Know issue. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not a listing of what we have going on in the service as much as, um, well, it's not that at all because we don't put that in there, but um, what's happening in our church family as well as a couple of articles that uh, we pray will be really helpful to you and fruitful for you. Uh, that are related to this uh, sermon series of rest. So we've got birthdays in there. I know some of you love to birthdays and anniversaries, love to s- send cards to others. That's a huge blessing. And so um, we put those back in the bulletin just to, to help you out there in that way as well. So uh, now back into it. Last week, we started this series uh, on rest. And rest is really a privilege that we enjoy as followers of Christ. And it's a pattern or you might say a discipline that we are to cultivate for fruitful Christian living. Now, I want you to catch that phrase, fruitful Christian living. It's another way of saying we want to be wholehearted followers of Christ, wholehearted in in how we strive to grow following the Lord. And so uh, in order to continue to grow in that way, we need to understand, as we began to see last week, that we need to rest to the glory of God. Now that might that might seem counterintuitive. Uh, we often think about what we need to do for the Lord, ways that we need to serve God, ways that we need to grow, ways that we might even think ways that we need to to be better, quote unquote. Uh, but we don't often think, how do I? How can I slow down? How can I take a day? And rest and pull back. In a way that's Christian. In other words, it's possible to rest and not be seeking to glorify God at all. Doesn't mean it's uh, hedonistic or a, a life of sinful, crazy living. But is is it purposeful, purposed to help us grow in our love for the Lord, our appreciation of who he is, knowing him better, relationships that are in the right uh, priority in our lives. And so we need to rest to the glory of God. I said last week, another way of saying this is wholehearted followers of Christ need biblically patterned rest in order to live to the glory of God. Uh, This is, I really believe this is the missing piece, P-I-E-C-E, which results in a lack of spiritual peace, P-E-A-C-E, with the Lord. Because when we fail to understand, cultivate, and practice biblically patterned rest in our lives, we don't have time, rather, we don't use time appropriately to as we'll see a little bit, stop, enjoy what has been accomplished, and enjoy the beauty of it. Express our dependence on the Lord, our trust in Him, to really accomplish the work that we're striving to accomplish. But we know that only God can do it. One of the challenges as a preacher, a pastor, uh, a Christian even striving to, you know, grow my own heart <clears throat> is a 
or can be a sense of self-dependence, thinking that it's my job to say this in such a way that makes you want to fill in the blank. That's a challenge. In other words, preaching in and of itself is an act of faith. Because what I want to do is strive to open up and explain helpfully and clearly the word of God to you so that the Holy Spirit of God in your life is connecting with the word of God and motivating you to a life of wholehearted following of Christ and growing in your own uh, life with him. Identifying areas through the help of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, which brings clarity, shines a light on areas where we need to grow. Uh, and that's a work between you and the Lord. Now, I have a responsibility in this partnership, if you will. But if I'm not resting in Christ in my own worship of preaching, uh, you'll hear it in, in what I say or how I say certain things at times. And so I have to guard against that and really trust. Uh, it's not my job to make you X, Y, Z. Right now, you can flip that around and say, well, it's not your job to tell me what to do. Well, that's not true either. It is our job as elders to, to, to tell you, to explain, to teach, to coach, to shepherd, disciple. But at the end of the day, we can't make you, right? We can't make one another <laughs> or even our own selves at times. We have to go to the Lord and ask God to change our heart in that. So uh, where have we been and, and where are we going? So we established this priority last week for wholehearted followers to, of Christ to live to the glory of God. That's where we started. Before we start diving in on biblically patterned rest, we need to establish, and this is what we talked about last week, that we need to resolve to live to the glory of God. Now, if you didn't think through that last week, I want to challenge you. Hear what I'm saying today, but you've got to hear what I'm saying today in the context of have I resolved to live a life so that every waking moment I'm striving to bring glory to God? I'm striving to think through my life in such a way that says, I am here as a sojourner. I am here as a, a follower of Christ that's walking through this life, journeying through this life and into eternity. This is not my home. My home is seated with Christ in eternity. And so I ought not try to set up camp here to be too comfortable, uh, so much to my liking that I forget why I'm here, right? I'm here to live, as one pastor has said, not with a cruise ship mentality, but with a battleship mentality, because we are in a spiritual battle. And so we've got to establish this priority. I want to live my life to the glory of God. Where do I start? Where am I at? What do I do next? It's going to be different for everyone in this room because we're in different situations in our lives. So in order to fulfill this resolve, we've got to look into God's word and trust God in his word as his authoritative primary only uh, means for communicating his best perfectly in our lives. Right. So remember, God often speaks by saying this is who I am and this is what I've done. Now, this is what I'm going to do or how I'm telling you how to live. So our, our goal in life is to know him, to understand what he has done and obey how he tells us to live. It's not our job. It's not our job to assess what he tells us, to put the microscope on what God tells us. Ah, uh, you know, I'm not so sure that what God says here is the best way to go. That's not our job. In fact, that's self-worship. That is elevating ourselves 
above the Lord. It's judging the Lord, which puts ourselves as really God. Now, I know you don't go into it thinking that, but functionally, practically, that's really what's happening. So Christian faith as a whole believes that God is our all-wise creator who, who spoke everything into existence and has progressively, which means increasingly over time, revealed himself through redemption history, which is a just a theological way of saying how God has worked in the lives of people in the past, redeeming them, saving them, helping him, them, us to know him, which culminates in the revelation of himself through his son, Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1, 15 to 20 tells us. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by or through Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or dominions or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And in him, Jesus, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. And Jesus, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. So that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent or surpassing everyone and everything else. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You want to know God? Look to Jesus. You want to understand who, how God works? Look to Jesus. And through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his, Christ, of his cross. So understanding biblical, uh, understanding and practicing biblically patterned rest restores and sustains Christians for joy-filled service to him. I'll say that again. Understanding and practicing biblically patterned rest restores and sustains Christians for joy-filled service to him. We're going to see this through three main passages this morning. Now, there's a challenge in this. This is sort of like the uh, 90,000 foot view flyover because I'm, I'm using this phrase biblically patterned rest. So we're going to dive into aspects of this next week that we don't have time to cover today. We're going to answer some of the questions that will come up in your mind today uh, next week. Uh, but the first way we see this is when we look at Genesis 2, 1 through 3, that God rested on the seventh day as an example and as a pattern for our enjoyment of his creation, for our enjoyment of him. Read with me Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, now two years ago we were in almost in this passage, uh, almost exactly just shy of two years ago. And... We really drew out that God created by speaking the world in its entirety, the cosmos in its entirety, into existence in six literal days. The word day there doesn't have any other kind of qualifier uh, other than morning and evening, the first day. That's not talking about 
So anyway, I'm wanting to get into it again, but I can't right now. But And on the seventh literal 24-hour day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested from all his work to show us rest, his rest for our sake. In other words, God modeled for us that which we are to do. God, 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 uh, God's work in one week, six days of creating becomes stamped upon his people through a seven week, I'm sorry, a seven day pattern. You can look uh, throughout all the world and you'll see this seventh day pattern. Um, I've had the privilege of serving on, on mission trips or visiting different people in different uh, parts of the world. And they're all, almost all of them are worshiping on Sunday, right? And we're going to look at that more next week. But there's this seven-day pattern that as a population we enjoy together, that we, it's part of our lives together. It's stamped in our minds and our hearts. And this repeating pattern is for our sanctification or for our growth in Christ. So for our sake, God modeled, God rested and patterned uh, this regular rhythm of rest to pause and remember him through creation. It's worth noting that this was not yet what we know as the Sabbath, which came in Exodus, which God commanded in Exodus. This is pre-fall. This is pre-sin. In other words, rest is not a result of the fall of sin. Rest has been God's good design and God's good pattern from the beginning. God, God didn't rest because he was tired. God sat back. I mean, if you will. He looked at his creation and every day he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. And as the days culminated in the creation of man and woman, he said, this is very good. And God saw all that he had made and he rested. That means he ceased from his work. And brothers and sisters, you and I need to cease regularly from working. We need to cease to pull back. And as Romans 1.20 tells us, we need to recognize that, well, one of the purposes of this is seeing in God's creation, God's attributes. In other words, Romans 1.20 tells us uh, his attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Now, creation tells us there is a God, he's eternal, and he's divine, which is just a way of saying he's God. Creation doesn't tell us how to know him personally. That's what the Bible tells us. In other words, creation is what theologians call general revelation. In other words, it's, it's general. It, doesn't, it gives you a general idea of who God is. I want to encourage you this week as you drive or, or walk. It may be better if you're riding in the car with someone who's driving to slow down and notice little things 
little aspects of creation. Large aspects of creation and everything in between. I was talking with some friends this week about microbiology. And so what that means is I didn't say anything. I know you want me to preach about microbiology next week so I don't get up here and say anything. <laughs> and I was listening to these believers who, who know microbiology fairly well and their description of how God creates and how God, um, call, I can't even recount it, but how God um, works through all of his creation, whatever the size and when you look at creation, you look at DNA, you look at all of these things, you, you recognize this can only have happened by a purposeful, methodical, all-powerful God. Some people worship the creation rather than the creator. That can happen in our lives as well. We can go enjoy creation so much that we can neglect aspects of biblically patterned worship that God has told us are priority for us. And so we ought not take what we enjoy in creation at a hobby level, for example, and enjoy his creation so much that we actually fail to worship him. Because that would be self-worship or worship of creation himself rather than the God who made everything. Isaiah tells us that God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God did not need rest on the seventh day because he was tired. You and I grow weary. We grow tired. And we need rest. And if we don't pattern our lives after a biblical pattern of rest and understanding its purpose, we'll burn out. That doesn't always look like a crash and burn. But something like that might happen after months of maybe a greater intensity but usually years of disobeying God. And you're like, oh, Pastor Matt, that's a pretty harsh way of saying it. Well, it's just true. It's just true. Do you know how I know? One, because the word tells us it. And two, I'm growing in it. I'm learning what it means to rest. We've been working as a family to try to reestablish biblically patterned rest in our lives. And I will tell you, it has been difficult. Not because God set up a, a difficult, a too, uh, too high of a bar. But because we choose not to stop. And we justify. We explain away why it's good and why we have to keep going. And then we get to points where we find, well, we can be short with people. We can be uh, unforgiving 
simply can be self-righteous. I'm working hard. I'm working the grind. So you have to work in the same way that I work. I got too much going. I, I don't have time to take a day to rest. Glad you have the time for that. But I don't. You know what's under the surface of that? Something like, I'm so important to God and the work that God is doing in this world that it's okay if I disobey what God has established as a biblical pattern of rest. God, God ceased from his work, but I don't need to cease from my work. Or in fact, I can't cease from my work because I'm too important. Now, we don't say it like that, but I would venture a guess that if you ask the Spirit to search your heart, like Psalm 139 says, search my heart, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Test me. Try me and see. God rested to show that his work was done and to give us a pattern. This is the good, elevated, as one pastor describes it, an elevated way of looking at rest. This is not yet a commandment. So this is what we're saying. We're looking at biblically patterned rest. And we see in Genesis that God stopped. Not because he needed to. Because he set a pattern. And it's our call to walk in that pattern. We get to walk in this pattern and stop. Look at what's been accomplished. Praise God for it. Acknowledge our dependence on God. And, and, and in what we do as a ministry or as a service or in your job or with your family, that God is the one who builds up and pushes down. God is the one who saves and redeems. God is the one who ultimately restores relationships. God is the one who is causing the world to turn, sustaining the world by the power of his word. We read at the beginning of our sermon. And so we follow God's pattern and we rest. But God did institute a Sabbath day. He instituted a day which demonstrates a work rest pattern. God instituted the Sabbath day to demonstrate a work rest pattern. Sorry for my misspelling there on the word word rest. That should actually be work rest. In Exodus 20, in the midst of the Ten Commandments, the Lord said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock 
or the sojourner, sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days, do you see the God is connecting a once a week pattern of rest to his rest. He says, for, because you need to rest for different reasons, but because I modeled rest for you, you need to rest. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, because the Lord elevated a day of rest, ceasing from his work, which was not laborious to him. God could have created the universe and all we know in it in a millisecond. But he did it for us. Ceasing from all his work, not out of exhaustion. Therefore, because God did this, he blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Now, We'll dive into this slightly more next week, but all of the other commandments are moral commands. This command is not a moral command. This command, this fourth command, is a signpost. Remember when God flooded the earth? He flooded the entire world wiped everyone out and every animal out except for two of each kind and Noah and his family. What happened after the rain stopped and the ark sat on Mount Ararat? We got what we see today, a beautiful, a beautiful rainbow. That rainbow was a promise that God would never destroy the world in this way again. It was a sign. It was a signpost that points us to the Lord. The Sabbath is a signpost that points us forward. Ultimately, to Jesus. It, it was a signpost to someone greater who would ultimately fulfill all things. I want to read how Pastor John MacArthur, Pastor and Teacher John MacArthur describes this. He says, there is no question about the other nine commandments being permanent and binding, right? Because the question we ask when we talk about the Sabbath is, well, that was for the Old Testament and it's not for now. Okay. We'll talk about that specifically next week. But he says, all the other nine commandments have no other gods before you, shall not lie, shall not kill, steal, etc. They're all reproduced, reworded, restated in the New Testament. And they're all summed up under, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If you focus on those two, you'll fulfill the other commandments. But the fourth commandment was a signpost. The fourth commandment was uh, was was is 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 a uh, is a uh, yeah is a sign. He says we never are never to make an auto we uh, idol. We are to worship the only true and living 
God. We are never to take the Lord's name in vain. We are not to dishonor our father or mother, but rather we're to give them honor. We're not to murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, or covet. These are all moral commandments, moral mandates, with the exception of these verses 8 through 11 regarding the Sabbath. God sanctified or set apart a day of the week because it was a gift. Now just pause for a minute. I think I've shared this story before, but several years ago, let's see, it was before I came here, so it would have been about seven, uh, seven years ago or so, I, uh, I had to get glasses, lenses. And uh, I never had glasses. In fact, I was pretty proud about my eyesight, you know, and, um, which I have nothing to do with, really, right? It's all God's doing. And so, but anyway, I had to get glasses. And I got this gift from someone. Um, and it wasn't my wife, but, um, I got this gift from someone and at Christmas, so I was excited to open up a Christmas gift. I don't like sharing this story because it just tells you how selfish I am and short-sighted and ugh, anyway, literally short-sighted. Anyway, so I get this gift and I'm opening it and I open it and I go, it's a lens cleaning cloth and cleaner. And like, you know, the little screw set to fix if, you, if the screws come out and start to loosen, tighten it up, things like that. And I was like, what? You can do better than this. Come on. I had no idea. Like I see people sometimes and I feel like from about 12 feet away, I'm like, they need my glasses cleaner and my cloth. <laughs> like I can't even see their eyes. Their glasses are so dirty. Sherilyn says to me almost constantly, you clean your glasses way too much. I want to see. And I want to be able to see through these lenses. Right? I didn't know what a gift that was. Friends, we fail to see what a gift weekly rest is for us. Because understanding a biblical pattern of rest through the word of God is what cleans our lenses. Or really, the word of God is our lens to see clearly who God is. Remember this pattern? What he has done for us. He has given us the opportunity for rest. And I will tell you, this sermon is not coming from one who's figured this out and is just telling you how to do how I've done this is coming from one who says, I am growing in this. I'm learning. I almost want to say for the sake of my family first, but for the sake of my relationship and worship of the Lord. And then for the sake of my family. I'm learning how to practice rest, which means I have a list of things that I think need to keep getting done. And I've chosen things to pile on. And even with all of that, some of you are, have way more going on than I do. And even with all of that, I'm learning to say I need to rest. I need to put it away. I need to turn off my phone. I plug it in. I'm setting it in my room. I know this is very elementary for some of y'all. I mean that as a compliment. God has the world. Jesus is sustaining the word 
world by the power of his word. I'm not as needed as I sometimes think I am. Neither are you. And so because God set this day apart, he sanctified this day, he made it holy. It's a gift to us for rest and for replenishment. Because, and here's where we go, go to the third part of this pattern. Right? God rested as a pattern. God gave us the signpost of rest. And ultimately we see that rest grows in the shade of a life of diligence to rest in Christ. Now this is interesting. Look at Hebrews 4, 11 through 13 with me. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us therefore, now I, I really, I, I've changed multiple times in my message today what verses I was going to read. Because I, I really need to go back. I really want to go back and unpack chapter 2, 3, and 4. Right? But I know you guys want to eat at some point. Not, not yet. We've got some time before we need to eat. So go back and read, kind of thumb through Hebrews, the beginning four chapters of Hebrews. Just thumb through them, and you'll, you'll get the major milestones. But in, in verse 11, he says, let us therefore strive. Now, that's the word be diligent. You're like, wow. So we're supposed to work to rest. Sounds like, but no. Let us strive. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. And then the author of Hebrews leads us right to Jesus as our great high priest. Now, what he's doing in summary form uh, is he's pulling together a lot of what we know that happened in the Old Testament. Okay? And the Israelites, God gave a pattern of rest. When God led the Israelites, because of their disobedience through the wilderness, you remember he brought them to a, a place and he fed them with what? He fed them with manna, which they did not know. Imagine large, really large, uh, substantive snowflakes falling down from the sky. You feel these things maybe dropping on your head. You're like, what is that? No, it's not a box elder bug. It's manna. What is, what is this? Oh, it's our food. Now God told them they didn't have to figure this out on their own. But this is what the Lord said. Take enough for the day. Take enough for the day. Now, let me just tell you, I would have sinned. Like if I buy one pair of jeans, I buy two pair of jeans. Right? The Lord's like, take, take, take enough for the day. I'd have been like, he probably meant like a day and a half. 
Maybe you look and you go, oh, he didn't actually mean stop from working or, or, or actually needing physical rest. Oh, no, he probably meant I can keep going a little bit more. I can do just a little bit more. I can pile up one more thing. Why? Because it's good. I'm serving someone. I'm helping someone. And rather than doing it on, on a one-off occasion, rather than doing it every once in a while, because we know those patterns happen in life, and, and this is not a legalistic, ritualistic, traditionalism kind of thing about resting regularly. No, because those seasons do come. Those patterns do happen. We say, oh man, I, I let life get away from me. I need to come back to establishing a pattern of the discipline of biblically patterned rest in my life. I need to take enough for the day and serve the Lord with all that I have. But then when it came to the seventh day, you remember what God did? He rained down from heaven enough manna for two days. He was so establishing the Sabbath pattern in the lives of his people that he said, I don't want you to work tomorrow. In other words, do not work tomorrow. I will supply what you need for today and for tomorrow. Take enough for two. And if they took too much, it rotted. Now, I don't want to take a principle from the Old Testament and talk about it in a way that communicates more than what God was actually doing in that moment. But as a an illustration or a way of thinking about it as an analogy. Is it possible that at times we take on too much? We take two days or three days. And then what we find is our efforts or our energy is deteriorating too prematurely. You know, you ever seen a block of cheese? And we love cheese in our family. Good, sharp cheddar cheese. And uh, it starts to mold. Now, I'm going to tell you, cheese is expensive enough. If it's there's a little bit of mold on the corner of a, a, slice of, a slice of cheese, man, I slice that baby off and I'm like, look how much I saved. Right? Like, I've just served humanity well. But there are points where you look at a block of cheese and you're like, Ooh, I guess I haven't opened this drawer in a while. Right? You know what I'm talking about. I just want to ask you to consider how much of what you're doing is represented by a block of cheese with too much deterioration all the way around. If we come and we catch it quickly and we say, you know what, I recognize I'm, I'm out of kilter. I'm, I'm out of step. Quickly. Let me catch it quickly. We slice off that corner and we say, okay, Lord, let me get back in step with you. That's grace. So much grace. But if we say, oh, look at, oh, that's, oh, it'll be okay. Well, what happens? It starts to grow all over. 
If you don't get rid of that little bit, it, it starts to grow. It's like leaven that leavens the entire lump of a loaf of bread. And Hebrews is telling us that if we rest in Christ, in other words, that once a week, seven day pattern of rest that God modeled and that God set as a signpost pointing us forward to Christ, which we'll see more of next week. We, we strive through faith filled obedience to enter that rest by trusting in Christ alone for our salvation which is how we stop our work for salvation. Because no amount of obedience will restore our relationship with God. Because our righteousness is like a block of cheese, moldy all the way through. There's nothing to save. Even if you could find a sliver inside, it is not enough to restore your relationship with God. Because he is perfect, holy, in every way. And so we, our rest grows in the shade of resting in Christ. And as we rest in Christ, being diligent to enter that rest. And then the, the fruit of that. Remember at the beginning I talked about a life of fruitfulness. Sometimes the missing piece, P-I-E-C-E, is that we're not walking in biblical rhythms of rest. And so, as a result, we lack peace, P-E-A-C-E. It doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, because that would be works-oriented. Right? I, I came into a relationship with Christ, and now because of my sin, I'm no longer a Christian. Well, if, if you can lose your salvation, well, then you did something to gain it other than faith. But what we see is that if I, am, if I don't have peace, P-E-A-C-E, in my life, in my relationship with the Lord, it's quite possible that at least part of the cause is that I'm not walking in biblically patterned rest, which finds its culmination in Christ, but then gives us the freedom to enjoy serving him with our whole lives in your work as a grandmother, as a grandfather, as an aunt or an uncle, or as a boss or as an employee or as a husband or a wife or a child or as a parent in your neighborhood, in your church, serving the Lord extends far beyond these walls. I want to ask you this week to consider, one, do you understand biblically patterned rest? Two, are you desiring? Do you desire to understand it or solidify what you understand? And obey the Lord by practicing biblically patterned rest, which in the pattern of God stops and looks and says, look at what God has done. You see, God looked and said, look what I've done. We, we don't stop and look and say, 
look what I've done. We stop and say, look what God has done. And I can trust him with the rest so I can stop today. And prioritize worship in any number of ways. Prioritize my family in worship together. Any number of ways that we are able to worship the Lord. So understanding and practicing biblically patterned rest, it restores us and sustains us for joy-filled service to the Lord. Paul's appeal to the church in Rome was, by the mercies of God, in other words, because you have not gotten what you deserve. Hell. I appeal to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy, a set apart and acceptable worship to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. That's that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what about the command to rest? What about the command to rest on the Sabbath? Well, we'll look at that next week. And we'll see the difference between what what God patterned and commanded in the Old Testament. How Jesus fulfilled and supersedes that in the new covenant.